Good morning. Welcome to Westtown Christian Church. I am so happy you are here today. If you are joining us online, welcome. We're so happy you're here. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're here. God is happy that you're here. Isn't it good to be in His, in His presence today, to be able to worship Him, to be close to Him? If you don't know me, I am the children's minister at Westtown Christian Church. So if I'm pacing a lot, it's because I'm scared of you guys because you're so much taller than the kids that I normally or the people I normally speak to. You guys look like giants. All right, I I, uh, I don't preach a lot because it's a little bit above my pay grade. Uh, that would be the grade I'm paid to work with. Anyways, so I, I don't get to preach as much as everybody else does, but. This week has been crazy, right? It's been we've been busy. My kids had a performance this past Saturday, and and we were preparing for that. We were they were going to practices, all kinds of stuff this week. I was trying to get a sermon ready. Children's ministry doesn't stop, which is weird. It's like, oh wait, I still have a whole other job to do, right? So it's like this is crazy. So, but it's been good. It's been challenging to me. That video we just watched, congratulations seniors, that's awesome. Uh, But it is perfect for the series we're in. We're in the series called Kids These Days. And it's almost, you can see it right here, I'm turning. Kids These Days, you can almost taste the sarcasm dripping off of that, right? Caleb said it the first week, um, the first week that he taught is like, that's been something people have been saying almost since the beginning of time. It's like, how can this world survive with kids these days? You know what I mean? It's like, that's, they're, they're reckless. They don't work. They're da, da, da. So it's like kids these days. At Westtown, our goal, you can see it all over the place. It's the title of our website um, is inspiring people to follow Jesus. So this whole series has been the question of how do we inspire the next generation to follow Jesus? And it's been really, really neat because you've gotten a ton of different views from it. The first week was Caleb. Caleb is our new lead pastor uh, him and Mackenzie have been, they got married in 2017. He's starting this huge new job. Uh, it it's, it's, has to be crazy and somewhat overwhelming, and he's doing awesome with it. And uh, so it's like you get a point of view from somebody that is, and, and he's kind of interesting too, because it's like he's part millennial, part whatever's next after that. He's like right there in between. And it's like, so that's hit the view from there. Then the next week, no offense, George, if you're in the room, is the opposite, right? You have George, who is old. Okay, yeah, there you go. So good, I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say it. And he's been married a while. He's, he's, not, he's closing in on at least a partial retirement. We talked this week of like, how, how, what does it look like, right? George Clark is not going to retire from being a minister. So what does that look like for him? He has grandkids, he's got kids, and it was just cool to see it from that angle. Then you have Ron, somewhere maybe in the room, Ron, who is, uh, who's closing in on being an, an empty nester. 
right? Not a dean nester. There is not another dean nester. He's closing in on being an empty nester. Although dean nester is an empty nester, which makes him a empty nester nester. Anyways, let's move on. Let's move on. I'm getting lost. Uh, so Ron is an empty nester, so it was cool seeing it from his point of view, right? This, like, how can we invest in the next generation? How can we inspire them to follow Jesus? And then this week is me, right? Obviously, I'm here talking. And so, um, for me, I'm 33 years old. I've got two small children. It's just a completely, I'm strong within the millennial time frame. I'm definitely a millennial. So how can I inspire people younger than me? How can I inspire uh, other millennials to follow Jesus? That's what we've been talking about. And if you haven't heard those sermons, go back and listen to it. Ron covered half the Bible last week. I don't know how he did it. It's a stinking miracle. It was awesome. He covered so much last week. Uh, but you should go back and listen to those. You can go to YouTube. You can go to uh, Facebook, watch the whole services. We've also launched Westtown Weekly. Westtown Weekly. It's our podcast. Each week, our sermons will be uploaded on there. And then we're trying every week to do a deep dive. And, and we didn't do one last week. We've done the one for the past three weeks because this week, we're doing a double deep dive. All right? Double deep dive. So we're going to do uh, a one with me and Caleb where we talk about my sermon. And then we're going to do one with all four, me, me Ron, George and Caleb, to talk about the whole series and total what, what we learned, things that we missed, that, like, that we wish we would have said, things that we wanted to say, but it's like it doesn't quite fit, that type of stuff. So Google, search it, look it up, Westtown Weekly, do it. You can even do it right now, and I won't be mad at you. Um, so I got my announcements done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. God, I am unworthy to be called your child. My goodness, I shouldn't even be able to teach about you. But Father, I know by your grace I am made whole. Father, fill this room with your spirit. Make it like the upper room, Lord. Fill it. Help us to feel your presence. Father, don't let it be me. I don't want whatever I have on this iPad. I don't it just, you can take it. You can take it away and I'll do whatever you want. But Lord, I, I need you to be the one that speaks today because I'm not good enough. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. This is all for you and you are worthy. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, I have been praying and thinking about this, about this sermon for weeks. That's one of the advantages of being a children's minister. They give you tons of time in advance because I've got a whole bunch of other stuff to do, right? So it's like, you can't be like, hey, David, could you preach next week? Sure, I'll just drop everything. No, I've been thinking and praying about wrestling with myself, wrestling with my own mind, wrestling with God about what I wanted to say. So, this is a very children's minister thing to say. This is the title of my sermon. What is that smell? Perfect. 
That is, that is the title of my sermon today. What is that smell? I know I just lost half of you. Come back. I promise. You'll get it. It'll, I pray that you will get something. I have gotten a lot out of this in preparing it. I think you will too. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 12. If you have a Bible app, you could do that. If not, don't worry. It'll be here and here and here. It'll be all over the room. You'll be able to see it. I promise. But John 12 is where our main scripture will be at today. Uh, but before we go, before I start reading that, I'd, I'd like to show you a, a post on a social media site, um, and I want to give you a, a warning, all right? I'm not calling out any generations. I, I, this, is not, this was not meant to, to be a knock on any generations. This is not a knock to be on my, my parents' generation. It's, some, it's how I think a lot of youth see the church. I think it's a lot of how a lot of people who aren't Christ followers see the church too. And I, I think it's worthy to be read. Me and Caleb talked about this for a pretty good amount of time, several weeks, maybe months ago. So here it is. Many millennials resent the church, B.C., that's not time, not before Christ, because... Many, many millennials resent the church because their parents were good at church, but not good at life. They struggle with attending a place that consumed their parents' time, but never transformed their private life. Ouch. I'd say that's pretty accurate. What's the number one complaint against the church? It's a bunch of hypocrites. It's true. We are in a lot of ways. It's, it's like we tell them to not do something and we do it. Again, it says millennials. I'm not saying that. I'm not, there's, that's a painting a broad brush. You know what I'm saying. Whatever. A whole generation with a broad brush. Whatever the saying is. So with that in mind, the question is, how do we inspire the next generation? How do we show them that we're not just playing church? That this isn't just a social club where we come here to hang out, where it's not just a social club with heavenly benefits, like pay your dues and then you're in, go into the clubhouse at the end, right? How do we, how do we show them that? How do we show them that there's something more to this than just Sunday mornings? I think our scripture, our main scripture, has, a, has a, a lot to say about this. So let's go ahead and go to that. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha, Martha, as in Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, Caleb a few months ago did an awesome sermon on how Martha was serving, Mary was uh, at Jesus' feet, what did Jesus say? There's only one thing necessary. Beat at my feet. Awesome. Cool sermon. Go back and listen to it. Um, Martha served. She hadn't learned her lesson yet. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Where's Mary at? Where she always is. Mary, therefore, took a pound, a pound of expensive ointment and made pure nard. Oh, that's made from pure nard, I'm sorry. It's a perfume. Nard sounds gross. It's a perfume. All right? 
and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled, I love that, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, the one, one of the disciples, he was the one about to betray him, said, why was this anointment, or anointment not, ointment not sold for 300 denarii? 300 denarii, is that it's like a year's wage. It's like $50,000 about for this jar of perfume, a pound of perfume, $50,000, and given to the poor. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. A pound, a pound of perfume. Have you guys ever been in like a middle school locker room? Or like where a bunch of boys are where they're spraying axe spray everywhere? And you walk in and like it goes into your lungs and it's like, oh, That would have nothing on a pound of perfume that she just poured on Jesus' legs and feet. She anointed him with. And she takes her hair humbly, lovingly. She's taken everything she had, 50,000, whatever it is, she's taken that, broken the jar, poured it all on his legs, given him everything she has, and then that's not enough. There's more. She takes her hair and she wipes his nasty, dirty feet with her hair. And the house was filled. But you know when she left that day? She smelled like Jesus. I think we have a slide for that. There you go. Mary smelled like Jesus. Everybody knew who she had been around. There was no questioning who Mary had been around. This was right before he walked, he does his triumphant entry into the city. And do you know what she smelled like when he did, when he was at the highest of his heights of, at that time? She smelled like Jesus. Jesus smelled like Mary. When he was at his lowest, when he's being beaten, hung on a cross, do you know who she smelled like? She was right there, and people could smell her and go, you smell like Jesus. When they put him in the tomb, she smelled like Jesus. When he rose from the dead, she smelled she smelled like Jesus. Who was the first person that came that Mary uh, that came that Jesus came to? Who was the first person? History would tell you, okay, if you if you want your 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 the Bible to be trusted, you know, back then what they would have said is you need to have a man tell it. You need to make sure you go to a man first, right? What did Jesus constantly do? He flipped the script on the Bible. He went to a woman first. Who? Mary Magdalene. Do you know why? Because Mary was special to Jesus. Why was she special to Jesus? Was it because she had superpowers? No. Was it because, um, because she was so beautiful? No. 
Mary was special to Jesus because Jesus was special to Mary. The more we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are my everything. I'm pouring everything out for you. Everything. The, the more he's going to say, I'm going to give you more. I, I want, you're going to smell like me. People are going to, you're going to walk in the room and they're going to be like, somebody just walked in. It smells like Jesus. Obviously, I'm, I'm talking more than just smells, right? It's, it's, this, it's a, a person, everybody's been around somebody that's like, that person's like Jesus. I think everybody's been around people like that. But smell, the reason I'm using that is because it's such a strong sense. Have you ever like smelled something and it's taking you right back to like elementary school? Like you smell it and it's like, boom, I'm back, right? As a parent, a lot of times you smell like your kids, right? If you're a parent in here, you've been burping a baby, you're patting them on the back, they just had a full belly of milk, you're out somewhere, they throw up all over, I'm sorry, I'm talking about throw up, uh, all over your back, and it's like, I don't have a change of clothes, I smell like baby throw up all day. Everybody goes by and they're like, whoo, that person's been around a baby, Right? Or if, if you haven't had that, maybe you've had this experience growing up. Uh, it was, it was, uh, there's two places that smelled exactly like bowling alleys and skating rinks, right? Bowling alleys and skating rinks. You go into bowling alleys and skating rinks, you come out smelling like nasty feet, Lysol, and cigarette smoke. That's just how it is. Like you walk in, it's like it's a unique smell. Now you can't smoke inside, so now you just smell like nasty feet and Lysol. So it's like even better now. So, uh, but where you have been, people can tell. Uh, uh, some good examples. If you've washed with a baby, if you've washed your clothes with baby clothes, it's like, oh shoot, I accidentally got a sock or I got my shirt in there, and you smell it. And it's like, the smell of a baby. There's nothing like it. So I, I love it. I love that smell. Or how about the beach? You go to the beach, you come home, you're unpacking your stuff, and what does it smell like? It smells like salt water and suntan lotion. You, you soak it in, and you can, it's almost like you can feel your toes sinking into the sand. Right? Or how about a parent or a grandparent? Right? I, I remember my grandpa's boat. I can tell you the smell that my grandpa's boat had. I wasn't allowed to touch the boat. Don't touch the boat. But I would go in there, I'd open the door, and I'd smell it. Every time we went down to, to Nag's Head, it's my grandpa's boat. And every once in a while, I'll get a sniff of something, and I'm like, hey, that smells like my grandpa's boat. I have no idea what it is, but it's that smell. Because where you spend your time where you spend your money is what you smell like. So what do you smell like? The next generation wants to know, what do you smell like? And I've got a... It's actually good news. Some people would be like, oh no, this is bad news. Or David, don't say that or people will not come. 
I love church. I work at a church. I have dedicated my life to working at church because I think it's important to be here. I have a newsflash. God doesn't want you to smell like church. Doesn't want you to, he doesn't care if you smell like church. He wants you at church. I won't say he doesn't care. He wants you there. He wants you to be around other people. God wants you to smell like Jesus. God wants you to smell like Jesus. So how do we smell like Jesus? What does that look like? These are going to be Sunday school answers. All right? Super easy. It's like, what, what are you going to say? Pray. Yeah. Right? How do you get closer to God? Pray. Spending time with the Lord. Spending personal time with God in prayer. How do you smell like Jesus? You get to know Him. You spend time with Him. Alone time with Him. How do you do that? You do that in prayer. The Bible says, close the door. Be by yourself and talk to God. The Bible uses the image of marriage with us and Jesus Christ a lot. Like, Jesus is, Jesus is the bridegroom. One day he's coming for his bride. Us, the church, his bride. Me, I'm his bride. He's coming back. It's happening. How weird would it be to get married and never talk to your bride? To never talk to your bridegroom? Or to be like, oh, before we eat, let me talk to my wife. Good, all right, we're good now. How weird. At, at the very least, it's unhealthy. Yes, you're still married. Yes, you're still saved by grace. But my goodness, how unhappy. How awful would that relationship be? How terrible would it be to, be, to, to have to go and punish your kids because they didn't know what you were expecting out of them? How, are you, how, are, how can we expect to know what God wants for us if we're not talking to Him? How do we talk to Him? We talk to Him in prayer. Francis Chan, one of my favorites, I love him. His book, Crazy Love, he says, the irony is that while God doesn't need us, He still wants us. We desperately need God, but don't really want Him most of the time. We need God. God does not need us. God is sitting there waiting for us just to come and talk to Him. All we need, literally, all we need is God, and we can't take the time to go and talk to Him. I talked to George this week um, and told him about a scripture that makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous for a lot of Christians. And, and it's Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, he, then, and then will de- I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. It's, it's crazy. You may be thinking, oh yeah, but I've never, I've never prophesied. I've never done miracles, so I don't have to worry about that. But when we get to heaven, are we going to say, but Jesus, I, I went to church every week. I helped with the money. I helped in children's ministry. I helped with worship. God, didn't you see all the people I baptized? It's like, but I never knew you. How do we change? How do we, how do we show the next generation what it looks like? We start having or stop having artificial significance. Bill Johnson says, says busyness is artificial significance. It's super easy to come in here on a Sunday morning, be super busy, go out through your week, be super busy, and completely ignore the greatest thing in our life. The God who created everything, everything, you, look at your hand. It moves when you think about it moving. He did that. And we don't have time for Him. Are we too busy for God? Does God know you? How do we teach the next generation that this isn't just a, a, you know, a cool get-together? It's not by trashing the world. The world is easily trashed. Everybody, people, non-Christians who have no basis for morals, our, mor- our basis for morals is the Bible, right? The, the world doesn't have a basis for morals. They trash the world because they can even see it. Even without a basis for morals, they can see that the world is a mess. And it needs something. So it's not going to help for me to sit up here and say, yeah, but the world is gross and the world is awful and everything they have, it causes mayhem. Because it does. How can I show them? What's the better way to do it? By showing them the beauty of being in the presence of God. How can I show my kids that Jesus is king? How can I show him that, man, the world is a terrible place, but he has plans for me? He has good things for me? It's by showing them how beautiful it is when I'm in his presence. I, I, I used to, when I would pray, I would do it, I'd you know, lock myself in the room, whatever, and if someone walked in, it would be like, oh, no, I'm not praying. Like, like they had caught me doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. Now, it's like, I'm proud of it. 
I want, I want my kids to walk in on me praying. I leave the door open intentionally so they walk by and I'm like, what's dad, what are you doing? I'm praying, you want to come in? Come and pray with me. Because they have to see that there's beauty, and there is, there's so much beauty in it. And I promise, if it's not part of your life right now, try it. Give it a taste. You'll love it. It's easy. Jesus says, come to me with your burdens, and man, I'll make them light. It's beautiful. I don't want my kids to... I don't know, they could be standing right up here. I don't know. I don't want them to stand up here when I die or wherever it is and say, boy, my dad loved the Cavaliers. You know what my dad really liked? Wings. He loved wings. He loved Ohio State. I, I, I don't want them saying that. What I want them to say is, man, did he love Jesus. Remember how we'd walk into a room and he'd just be praying? Remember how I'd, I'd come into the, to the kitchen and he'd be listening to worship music, music and have his hands raised? It's because he loved Jesus. How is the next generation going to know how sweet Jesus is? How sweet his forgiveness is? His grace and his mercy? We're not just basking in it. The next way is, i got to move. The next way is spending time thinking and talking about God throughout your day. Thinking and talking about God through your day. How often do you think about God during the day? How often are you reminded of what he's done for us? How often are you cracking open your Bible? How often are you telling your kids about it? How often are you spending time in prayer throughout your day? Because if we're in here on Sunday morning saying, Jesus, you're number one. God's number one. God's number If we're saying that, shouldn't our actions be reflecting that? If he's the most important thing, why do we look like hypocrites to the world? It's because we're saying that on Sunday morning and we're going out into the world and acting like everybody else. We, we, me, Brittany and I love Jewish culture. This is called a mezuzah. We love Jewish culture because Jesus was Jewish. There is an Old Testament and it has lots of information about Judaism. And every inch of it points to Jesus Christ. This right here is called a mezuzah, and it goes on your door frame. You can kind of tell, I mean, not real well, but you can tell a little bit that it's crooked. It's because that represents Jesus coming in and out of the house with you as you go on your day. It, you can buy these on Amazon. You could order one right now for Amazon for like eight bucks. goes on your door frame. And what it has on here is it's called the Shema, or Shema, however you want to say it. The Shema. The Shema is easily the most quoted text in the history of the Bible. Easily. Jews 
pray it, they quote it twice a day, every day, and they have since it was given to them with Moses. What is it? Jesus says it's the most important scripture, or it's the most important thing. Let's read it, let's read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It sounded easy when people were reading it because we say it all the time. It's in the Scripture. It's, it's Jesus' favorite Scripture because He probably said it for 32 years of His life, said it twice a day, every day. So why do they put that on there? Why do they put that on there? As we leave the house, we kiss our hand and touch the mezuzah to remind ourselves that God is what we should be thinking about. How do we do this? How do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with, with all your might? Luckily, Deuteronomy doesn't stop there. All right, let's go to the next one. In these words, this is right after that, these words I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them gen, uh, diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit on your, in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So bind them as a sign on your hands. A lot of times you see Jewish people who have, they'll, they'll have things hanging from their hands. That's it. Every once in a while you'll see somebody with a box. This, this interprets it frontlet. It's a little box they put on their head and they roll up scripture and put it in it so that they remember it. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's kind of strange. It looks weird. But it's because they want to remember the scriptures. And then the mezuzah is a direct response to that. Put it on your door frames. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, might. We should be thinking about God all through the day. All day long. How do we make this scripture true? In the morning? In the evening, or during the day, at night. What are we talking about? Jesus. We're talking about God. What are we talking about to our children? What are we talking about to our students? What are we talking about to our spouses? What are we talking about, or what are we talking to our coworker who's 30 years younger than us but just got a promotion that's over you? It's like, what in the world? What are you talking to him about? Jesus. Because if we're going to say he's the most important thing, our lives should reflect that. Luke 14, 16 through 24 says, this is a parable, but he said to him, a man once gave, this is Jesus, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. 
And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore she won't let me come. Oh, no, no, no. I cannot come. That's what it is. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes and of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded we've, has been done, and, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and to the hedges and, and compel people to come so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We have been invited to the party of eternity. The banquet of eternity. The most beautiful banquet we could ever imagine. We've been invited to it. But boy, I'm busy. None of those things are bad, right? Family, very good. Working, very good. Looking at investments and how your, you know, what, what, how your money's going. That's good stuff. But it's all worthless if we miss out on the banquet. I, I pray that that shakes us. That it shakes you like it shook me. <laughs> because it did. It kind of scared me a little. God doesn't say, love the Lord your God with part of your heart, with part of your life, all of it, a hundred percent of it. Where do people get lost is when we're saying that and we don't do it. I was discussing, um, I was discussing this scripture with Lucy and Caleb, they're right here. Lucy's our intern this summer, and Brittany, my wife, we were all talking about it, and, uh, and we were at our house talking about it, and Lucy asked a very good question, and I was angry at her for asking a good question to challenge my authority. No, she didn't, no. but it was a good question. I was like, I have to answer that. David, what does Jesus smell like? <laughs> what does he smell like? And I, I thought about it. I, I wrestled with, with that because I, I, I think you get what I mean. Like, it's not actually necessarily smelling like Jesus. I don't know what Jesus smelled like. I, 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 know, I, I know I want people to know when I walk in the room, when, I, when, when they see me, it's like, man, David's different. He's been around somebody. I, there's something different about David, and it's because he has been around Jesus. He smells like him. But as I prayed and I wrestled, I came to a realization. What does Jesus smell like? Purity. Purity. He smells perfect. He smells clean. What else 
where else are, are, is this generation or the next upcoming generation is going to go to to find perfection, to find cleanliness? Where are your children going to go? Where, where are your grandchildren going to go? There's only one place. Me and Brittany use Norwex rags. I don't, some of you have probably heard of them. Maybe some of you have been tricked into buying them, right? We, we have, no, I love Norway. We use them all the time. They're microfiber cloths. We use them everywhere in our house. We, we have them for the bathroom. We have them in the kitchen. We have them everywhere. And one of their taglines is, clean doesn't have a smell, right? Clean doesn't have a smell. Because when we try to cover up stench, it always comes back. <laughs> stinks. Sin stinks. It's gross. You're ashamed of it. You're like, man, how can I hide this? Maybe if I, uh, maybe if I, if I raise my hands higher in church, maybe if I uh, go to more stuff, maybe people won't realize. Sin stinks. And we spend so much time trying to cover up that smell with artificial stuff that it's just gross. Those rags, if you use them in the shower and you rub it on your arm and you smell your arm, it's almost like, this is weird. Because you have a smell or you're used to having a smell of like lavender or something like that. I've, not me, I don't use lavender, that's for sure. <laughs> but like you're used to something, you're used to having a smell, right, of some sort. And when you take it off, it's like, that's weird. But it's clean. It's pure. Isaiah 118 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Boy, that's beautiful. How do we inspire the next generation to follow Jesus? We follow Jesus. We do what Mary did. We smell like Jesus. We spend time at his feet. We give to him. We love him. We talk to him. And they're bound to be interested. There's something different about those people that smell like Jesus. Today, maybe you feel like, man, I stink. I stink like sin. I've cheated, I've, I've hated, I've ran from God my whole life, and I just stink, and I can't do it anymore. God, what can I do? Today, you can make a decision to make all your sins white as snow. So when you, when you die, it's going to happen. When you die, and you come in front of God, He doesn't go, Ugh, you stink like sin. He comes to you and says, you smell like my son. You smell like Jesus. Pure, clean. The praise band's going to come up. And today, if, if you feel that tugging on your heart, that's not... That's God. He's saying, I've got something for you. Maybe you've already made the decision to follow Jesus, and you're like, the sin stinks, I'm still sitting in sin, and you need prayer, and you want to do... Read, to devote yourself to God, we'll do, come back, I'll pray. We'll pray with you. 
Maybe you haven't accepted God. Maybe you're like, the sin is sitting on me. I, I want it to be gone. Let's do it. Don't wait any longer. Come and smell like purity, like Jesus. Right after that, what do you do? You tell the whole world, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smell like Jesus. I'm going to be like Him. I'm going to go up here, and I'm going to have all this filth washed out of me. The old is dead, the new has come. We'll baptize you. I don't care how late I have to stay here. We'll baptize you. Because it's the most important thing. God is the most important thing. We're getting ready to do a song, and you can do communion. Each one of these tables has communion. Uh, it's double cups. The juice is on top. The bread's on the bottom. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Take that to remember what Jesus has done for you. He's taken all that sin, all that stench, all that grossness, and he's put it on himself. And we do this to remember him. It's all gluten-free, pure of gluten. <laughs> so you can go to any of these tables, grab one, bring it back to your seat, go find a spot, spend time with Jesus. He's calling you. He's calling you. Let's pray. Lord, I have had so much sin in my life. So much destruction, pain, and suffering. Yet you've washed me white as snow. You've taken this stench that just sits, that just sat on me, and you've taken it away. The destruction, the mayhem, the sadness, you took it on yourself on the cross. I don't deserve it. By any means, I don't deserve it. But it can only be through your love that I have it. Lay on us, Lord. Send your spirit. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.